everyone. Welcome to the Runners of the Bay podcast. This is Mimi. I am here with Bridget. Hello, Bridget. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm like totally disoriented though, because this is a Friday. We're recording this intro on a Friday and I feel like we usually, spoiler alert, we usually record it on like a Saturday or a Sunday and I'm just like, oh, it's Friday. What do I do with that? I don't know. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Yeah, it is weird. I feel like I definitely have like Friday brain. In fact, we, I like wasn't getting an alerts on my phone and we missed, we almost missed recording this because I was doing work and I feel like I'm still kind of in that like hazy, what do I need to get done before I can go into weekend mode mind? Totally. You know what I mean? I was like trying to explain yeah. something in a meeting this afternoon and people were looking at me like I was nuts because I just, I had nothing left, <laughs> nothing left to yeah. give. <laughs> Yeah, but you have a you have a fun weekend planned. Uh, I guess. <laughs> We're really talking about this. Yeah. Yes, we are. Um yeah, I'm racing for the first time in over a year, which is cool, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, doing a 5K in Sacramento. Try to get that elusive 5K. Well, not even the 5K PR, but to break 20 minutes in the 5K and it's sort of like I think I know, I know intellectually that I am capable, right? Like I almost did it over the summer. Arguably my watch says I did. I'm in mm-hmm. much better shape and much faster now. That, I mean, you you were there over the summer. That was, that yeah. was brutal. I was dying. <laughs> so I would like to never feel that way again. But intellectually, I know it's possible, but emotionally I'm like, I think I still have some doubts. Yeah. But I mean, shout out to Sacramento Running Association. Association. <laughs> Whatever that. it is. Yeah. Um, we're keeping that yeah. in. Um, they're like relaunched a racing series. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love, as everybody knows, I love CIM. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just great the way that they're approaching this. Um, and I look forward to your race report. I'm very confident that you're going to have a good race. And like, like we were saying before, I think the your fitness alone, everything that you've put into it, plus just having a crowd there, mm-hmm. like you're, you're going to crush it. Well, thanks. And I think like you always get a few seconds, like when it's a real race and there's like that adrenaline. Right. And so yeah. I, I haven't had that for so long. And yeah, there's like some adrenaline with time trials, but it's just, it's not the same. Oh, so so yeah. I'm hoping that's worth something, but yeah, it'll, it'll be fun. I think. I don't know. I don't know why I'm so like hedging my bets on this. I just, it'll be fine. It'll be, yeah, you're going to, you're going to have a great time. Um, what, what you can, are you packing for pre or post race? It's the cookies and cream for me, man. I mean, I was just looking at my jar today and I'm almost, I I wasn't paying attention of like how much I went through and it's almost gone. So I need to order more. (gasps) So my pre, my pre race, what I've done for like, Uh, What I did for the Boston, this was like, I started doing this for the virtual Boston marathon and it worked great was I put some UCAN in some coffee. I think I've talked about this before. And then I had like a bagel with peanut butter and it was Mm. awesome. So, so good. Still haven't decided what I'm going to do for a Sunday, but I think UCAN will definitely play a part in that. It always plays a part in my fueling, whether that's for training or racing, and it should play a part in yours too. So make sure you go to youcan.co slash discount slash ROTB slash for 15% off. And don't do what I do. Don't find yourself in a situation where you're 
looking at the bottom of the jar for that cookies and cream. You want a, you want a nice yeah, full jar. <laughs> that is always a bummer. I just had this moment where you, when you were talking, I could like tell at what moment you started smiling <laughs> and it totally made me smile. It's like one of those like little funny things. Like I, we don't record this. I can't mm-hmm. see her right now for anyone who's for our listeners. Um, so it's just voices, but like, I love that. I love hearing someone's voice and you're like, yep, that person just smiled. And it's like impossible. Not oh my to gosh. Smile. It's totally true. I'm smiling right now. I can, I think I can hear you smiling when you said that. Oh yeah. yeah you totally Good. can. Yep. Yep. I've got, I'm going to have sore cheeks. Um, well, I don't have anything like that exciting planned. I've got kind of like a medium long run this weekend. And, um, but you know me, I'm going to be doing my, my ever athlete, like active recovery. I've been sticking to my morning routine of doing the like all day athlete, lower back and hips in the morning. Mm. And it's like, it is a game changer for me. It makes, it honestly has made me like feel so much better in my workouts and in my runs. Um, it's just a great way to, great way to wake up. But I think, I'm going to switch over and do some of their like active recovery videos as a part of my kind of post run routine. I think I've got like 13 miles on Saturday and then maybe like, um, I don't know, 70 or 80 minutes on Sunday. So I think, I think that's going to be my, my companion, my, um, my left glute has been behaving itself. So I have to remember that like when it behaves itself, then that's an indication that I need to keep doing what I've been doing, not stop doing Mm -hmm. it. (laughs) Because that's, that's been my pattern. I'm like, oh, I'm fixed. Okay. Now I can do less. And then you're like, nope. (laughs) So if you need help getting through an injury, or if you feel like you need help just staying injury free, um, and kind of figuring out where are all those places are that, you know, as runners, we don't necessarily work every muscle group, but every muscle group should be active, firing and strong when we're running. Um, we really recommend ever athlete. Um, so head on over there. It's everathlete.tv. And if you use the code ROTB 50, then you get 50% off your first month, which is a great yeah. deal. And I think like, honestly, all of that is has helped me like get to this place of better fitness, right? Like Mm -hmm. all of the, the pre-run, the prehab, the rehab, like just really being focused on it. If you can train longer, harder, more without getting injured because you're taking care of yourself, like you're going to improve. So it's just, it's science people. It's just the way it is. Well, today's guest um, ha- is someone who must be doing a lot of things right because, like, I, when we were talking to her, like, she's talking about doing like Boston to Big Sur, Boston to Canyons, the Ultra, and I was like, "Is that even a thing?" What? I know, <laughs> completely. Yeah. So our our guest today is Deanna Kwong, who is just so delightful. We are so lucky to have her on the show. Spoiler alert, and we talk a little bit about this in the podcast. She's going to be coming back um, to talk about some more things, but she's just incredible. I mean, she just like casually dropped. She's like, oh, yeah, like I forget what distance she said, but she's like, we were supposed to do a 30K and ended up doing like 40 miles. I don't know. Fact check that people in the in the actual podcast episode. I should take better notes. But it was just like, wait, what? Like that was super casual and normal. But she's so, she's so low key about it. And I think she's so humble in what she does, but like everything that she does is incredible. I mean, she has a full-time high power demanding job. She's a mom. She still finds time to run. She's active in the community, like just an inspiration to me personally. And just so, so kind and thoughtful. 
Yeah. I've had the pleasure of, of meeting her quite a few times, um, hopefully more in the future. Uh, and she was just one of those people that was so generous with her mm-hmm. time. In fact, the the fir- we talk a little bit about the first memory or the first time I met, but she was someone who had been done Boston. I was currently training for Boston and, um, you know, she was just like such a good listener and such like that welcoming part of the running community. Mm-hmm. She just immediately was like, what, what can I tell you? You're going to have a great time. If you want advice, if you want support, if you just want like me to tell you, it's going to be awesome. I'm here for all of it. And, you know, ever since she's just been someone that I've been, that I've admired, you know, on all the places that we admire people, Strava and Instagram and all that stuff. Um, and, and I've wanted, you know, this is such a, a great opportunity to, to pull her in and to have one of those kind of long run conversations where you talk about like, how did you get involved with mm-hmm. running and how, you know, what were your first experiences like and how do you think about trails versus road? And she just opens up and, and talks about all of it in such a, in such a great way. Yeah. And more to come from her. But enjoy this episode with Deanna Kwong. Welcome to the Runners of the Bay podcast. We are so excited to have Deanna Kwong here with us today. Hi, Deanna. How's it going today? Hi, it's going pretty well for Monday. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Well, we, as I said, we are just really pumped to have you here. We've been following you on social media, gotten to know you a teeny little bit and have just like Bridget and I have been talking. We're like, we're so excited to have Deanna on because she seems so awesome and kind. And even we were talking a little bit before we started recording and I can say that you are. So we're excited to get into it a little bit more. Um, You know, tell us like in these not so ordinary times, although I feel like we're sort of moving a little bit in the direction uh, where things are opening up, but you know, what does a typical day in your life look like right now? Yeah, it's pretty busy. Um, You know, I'm juggling working from home like many of us and then trying to fit my miles in and being consistent about that. And then I also am a mom, so I'm kind of taking care of my kids. And also, you know, I I do a lot of volunteer work through um, various nonprofit organizations I've been involved with. Um, I'm on the board for a few organizations. Um, I help to co-lead a bar association for my um, practice. I'm an attorney. And so um, it's really, I think, a mastering of just being super time efficient. I have a coworker who pre-pandemic used to make fun of me and say that I had a side hustle as an Uber driver because I would always have my calls with him when I was in the car. But I did that intentionally to maximize the 24 hours in a day because I knew I didn't have to be in front of a screen when I talked to him. So for any calls with with that particular colleague, I would be in the car. And so he would jokingly ask if I were picking up or dropping off a passenger. Um, So that's kind of a typical day. It's pretty... (laughs) It's pretty long. Admittedly, sleep is one area that I uh, definitely been trying to work on. And definitely with the pandemic life, I've been able to improve on that a little bit. But um, yeah, typical day is pretty long. Um, Sometimes I don't get my workout in until 11 p.m., starting 11 p.m., 11.30. And so I think, okay, well, as long as I start it before midnight, I'll count it for that particular day. Wow. That is Amazing. I'm like, if it's 6 p.m., I'm done. <laughs> like, it's over. I know. I'm listening and I'm like, wait, I do half the things. And I'm like, try to be in bed at 8 p.m. or I'm grumpy. 
Um, how, like, do you have a treadmill? Are you running outside at like 1130 sometimes? I do. Yeah. So one of my pandemic purchases was a treadmill, which I used to refer to disparagingly as a treadmill. Um, I haven't named mine yet though, Mimi, but I'm inspired by the fact that I heard you name yours. So maybe I should give mine a name because, um, it's definitely been a lifesaver. I got it, um, last year, kind of at the start of the pandemic. And I'm really glad I did because with the wildfires in California, Mm -hmm. um, it became an even more instrumental tool for me to keep my miles up. So yeah, so I do have a treadmill. I did my virtual Boston on it last year. Um, which I don't recommend. (laughs) It was definitely the most boring marathon I've ever done, but I'm grateful that I had it. Yeah. Was it because it was during the fires? Yeah. That Monday off that um, the BA had declared as being kind of the postponed Boston Marathon Monday. Mm -hmm. And so I had already set in my mind and it kind of led up to that day being the day. And I think it was still wildfire season and the air quality was bad around me. So I decided um, to just hop on the treadmill and try to crank out the 26.2 there. Wow. That's amazing. I once did a 20 miler on the treadmill and I thought that was amazing. It was actually not last year, but the year before for, you know, training for, I think it was actually CIM. And, um, I thought I was a hero. So <laughs> you are officially Shiro. You're both heroes. I think the longest <laughs> I've done is like 15, but I'm like, yeah. nope, I'm done. I'm off. Well, now it's hard me to give Ruth a chance for a marathon <laughs> with you. She'll really shine. Yeah. So let's, We've got to talk about all of the the running that you've done, but let's start kind of at the beginning. Like what's one of your earliest memories of running? Yeah. I mean, I think I've always enjoyed it. I never thought of it as something that I may be decent at or that I could kind of focus on as a form of kind of activity or enjoyment. Um, and then in high school, in my freshman year, as with many PE classes, we had to do the mile occasionally. And I I liked it a lot. I I wasn't, you know, trying really hard or anything, but I happened to just be the first or one of the first people each time to come in. And then my PE coach at the time was the varsity basketball coach um, at my high school. And so he pulled me aside and said, Hey, I really think you should join the track team, which I would have never thought if he hadn't said that. So that's my earliest memory. I mean, I don't think I really capitalized on that opportunity though. And I kind of wished Back in the day, I, I had my Garmin to, so that I remembered what my time was. I know it was, you know, a decent, it was a, some kind of sub six time, oh, but I don't wow. remember exactly what it was. Um, but once I got to the track team, I feel that imposter syndrome kind of reared its head. And so one of my regrets is not actually having um, had the courage to really kind of put my effort into that. I ended up joining a group there that I had no business joining because I am so short. I ended up joining my friends who were jumpers, which I am awful at. So I ended up doing a lot of the track training, but I don't think I really did the events that I probably should have done. Um, so that's my earliest memory of, of running. And then I didn't pick it back up again until adulthood, really. I'm just, what kind of jumps? <laughs> Like yeah, you decided so it's, to it's embarrassing to say because um, I was such a horrible jumper. I tr- I tried to be a long jumper and I tried uh-huh. to be a triple jumper, but was just atrocious at it. So um, it was purely to hang out with friends. And I mean, that's really what I think continues to draw me mm-hmm. to running today is just being part of the community and getting to hang out with 
people whom I really enjoy and, and being outdoors and kind of doing physical activity that, that we find to be therapeutic and fun rather than a chore. Yeah. And I think too, like when you're that age, like it should be fun, right? It should be something that you're doing with your friends and maybe unless you're trying to like get a college scholarship, like you don't need to be so serious about it. So it sounds like even though maybe jumping was not in your future, at least like track and running in some way stayed with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. I definitely liked the drills we did. And we obviously did some running as part of our training. But um, but yeah, that's my earliest memory. And it's not really where I probably should have applied my time. What brought you what brought you back to running as an adult? Yeah. So in college, I was, I stayed fairly active. I went to the gym a lot and took a lot of group classes and took a lot of dance classes actually to kind of supplement the academic courses as, as something fun to do. And then um, in 2014, I was just facing a lot of personal kind of heartbreak and sadness at the time. And then my sister, who actually doesn't even remember saying this, which is funny to me because it was literally a really pivotal moment in my life, but she has no recollection whatsoever. We had this conversation. <laughs> she at the time had picked up running for the first time. She had never really enjoyed it as a kid um, growing up, but she had picked it up and she suggested to me that maybe I should try running again because she knew how enjoyable I found it when I was younger. And so um, at her suggestion, I went and bought a pair of actual running shoes, which I had never owned as an adult. And so I discovered Hoka's at that time. And I remember I bought these purple shoes in September of 2014 and then uh, went for a run outside and remembered how much I enjoyed it. Um, so that's kind of how I picked it back up. Uh, it reminded me how meditative it feels for me to be in motion outside. And so that kind of led me to run a few miles a week. And then in 2015, I changed jobs and um, I had a wonderful two week break in between my old job and my new job. And it was in June and there happened to be a half marathon, a local half marathon in my city. And so on a whim, I thought, well, let me just sign up and try this half marathon since I have two weeks off. And so that was by far, I think, the longest I would have run. There was no formal training leading up to it. So I don't even remember how many miles I'd hit before trying this half marathon. And it happened to be a warm day and it was a late start. So mm. I think by, you know, 9 a.m. it was already in the low 80s. So it was actually mm. pretty hot, um, but I really enjoyed it. So that was my first half marathon. And then um, after that, with the start of a new job, I also found a new running group to, to run with early in the mornings because I knew that with a change in schedule, I may not have flexibility initially at my new company. So I want to get my miles in uh, before work started. And so I had a friend who had told me about this running group, I think months before, and I had sort of politely declined because I didn't see a need to get up and run at 5am at the time. But yeah. with this <laughs> job, I, I figured, okay, well, maybe this will be a good group for me to join now. And so around, I forget if it was before or after I did the half marathon, but then I joined a running group. Um, and so we'd meet at 5am in the morning and crank out some miles and yeah, made a bunch of really fantastic friends there, many of whom I still am friends with. And so we started doing some half marathons together um, and then decided at some point that we would do a marathon. Nice. What is that running group? Yeah, it's just a, there's no name for it. It's just okay. kind of this ad hoc group of runners 
they came from two different gyms of which I was not a part of. So I was kind of the outlier in this group. And oftentimes when there is a new person that joins, they'll ask, you know, which are you with gym A or gym B? And I would be none of the above. Um, so that's why I found the group. Nice. Nice. Yeah. That's like the flexibility and the working, running into your life and job is something that's been on my mind a lot lately because I started a new job and I think with the, in January and I think with the pandemic, it's offered more flexibility because I bought Ruth because of it. And so now I get my treadmill. So now I could jump on her any time of day, like if I have a few minutes, but I know definitely like if things were in the before times, I would want to find a group early in the morning to to make sure that I get my run in. But something that always sort of holds me back is like, even though we have this podcast and like, I like talking to people, I can be really shy and have like really high social anxiety and I'm scared to like join new groups. And I'm curious, like what were the first couple of runs like with that group? Like if you didn't know anyone, how did you, how did you sort of like show up and get comfortable with it? Yeah, that's a great question, Mimi. And I definitely share that. I can be really gregarious and social and loud when I'm comfortable and with my close friends, but I can also be very shy as well. Um, I think I'm very much an extroverted introvert in some ways. Um, And so, yeah, I did have some anxiety, to be honest. I think that's why when I initially was told about this group, I declined because I was scared to run with people that I didn't know. Mm. But they were really welcoming. Um, They were really open. And I felt that there was this collective desire to kind of support one another. And it wasn't competitive or about numbers. I think most at that time were kind of beginning their run journeys um, or resuming them after having you know, done a little bit of it, perhaps in high school um, or college, and then not having picked it back up until adulthood. But I definitely still feel that anxiety when running with new groups. And it's, it's something that I've kind of told myself to work on or to improve on as a little personal challenge, but I definitely can resonate with that feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I love that question, Mimi, and I appreciate the honesty in your answer, Deanna, because it's something that I certainly struggle with. Like, I I would love to put myself out there, but I think sometimes I have days where I'm like, I don't know if I could run faster than a nine minute mile. Like, I'm just not showing up today. And other days I'm like, okay, yeah, I think I can run a sub three hour marathon. So I just feel like I'm all over the place. And I find that when I'm having a bad day, I guess I'm really hard on myself and I and if I'm with someone then I'm just like apologizing and I just am kind of cringing on the inside but I know that if the roles were reversed in almost like in every scenario I wouldn't feel mad at that other person I'd be like yeah let's walk like I don't care let's drop a 12 minute mile like whatever you want that sounds great like let's slow it down so I always have to remind myself like in almost any scenario, like no one cares. And if someone has such a specific workout, then you'll know, they'll tell you like, this isn't the run to run with Mm me. But if they invited you, then I feel like most runners are like, whatever happens, happens. Yeah. Yeah. It's so helpful to hear you guys say that and to share this so that I don't feel like I'm the only one that feels that sometimes. I mean, this literally just happened today. So before we all convened here, I went on a run with two friends and I told them I got really little sleep last night unintentionally, I just sort of was busy. And so um thought, okay, I'll just, I'll make sure I get more sleep tomorrow. But when I asked them if they wanted to run, I said, okay, I just want to make sure like you guys are good with easy pace today. Like I'm totally leisure pace and they seem fine with it. But like you said, Bridget, if it were the other way around, I wouldn't 
really think anything about it. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's like when you've agreed to run with someone, you're sort of like agreeing to whatever. Like it's not about the pace or how many miles you're running. It's like so much more about just spending time with someone and making it making it fun, making it enjoyable. Like there are those runs where, yeah, it's about a workout or it's about a certain amount of miles you need to get in. And figuring out that balance, I think too, makes running so much more sustainable because then you're able to like find the joy in it, both when it's hard and when it's supposed to be fun. Yeah. I love the way you put that. And I definitely feel it's helpful to be reminded of that. And it's actually such a luxury to have those days where you don't have a workout Mm -hmm. on schedule where you can just feel like, okay, I'll just go with how I feel today in terms of mileage or time on my feet. I was able to do that um, two weekends ago where I ended up um, joining a friend to go to Henry Cove State Park for the first time, which I had never been to. And it's gorgeous right now with wildflower season. And I had no expectations on how many miles we were aiming for a 50K. It ended up being 40 and no time goals at all. I was like, we can take as much time as you know you want. And it was really nice to just take a leisurely time and literally spend, you know, a decent amount of the day outside. And mm-hmm. I, I actually think it was a luxury of the pandemic really, because, you know, during this time, um, you know, it would be leading up to Boston and I probably wouldn't get to go and, and kind of do a leisurely run out on the trails because I'd be focused on that. And so it's kind of nice that we have that luxury right now. Yeah. I was thinking about that the other day too. Like, oh my gosh, Boston is supposed to be in a week. And doesn't it, it feels like yesterday that we were, that it was canceled and it was April 20th, 2020. And here we are a year later. And it's like, I, I, I thought about that this weekend. Like how crazy that is. Yeah. It's really crazy. Mm-hmm. I love how you casually are like, we were supposed to do a 50K, but I'm just like, whatever you want to do. But I also love how you say like easy days are a luxury. That's something that will like stick with me. That is such a gem of a statement. And I think approaching easy running days as as a luxury, they they truly are. But yeah, dropping a 50K as a casual thing speaks actually to your um, your overall running prowess. And, you know, you are someone who has done is is the longest 100K. That's what my stalking told me. Yeah, the longest I've done so far is 100K. I did canyons on my birthday a few years ago, although it technically is longer than 100K. And the reason I point that out is because I really felt those additional two miles. And I was actually really mad about it at the time. (laughs) Like the whole time I was thinking that I was tricked into thinking this was 100K when there's actually two extra miles till the finish line. (laughs) I love that. But I mean, one of the things that I really want to talk about is you are someone who has run Boston, you have run road races, you are proficient at road races, you and I have serendipitously met at many half marathon finish lines, but you also love the trails and obviously are do a ton of ultras. So like, how do you think about these? How do you, how does the training work? Like talk us through how those two identities evolved and how they are present in your daily running now. Yeah. I mean, I think it's basically because I love running so much that I love it in all forms. And so I'm so eager and excited to try different distances and um, just get those new experiences. And so the way I've done it the past few years, kind of pre-pandemic is, I mean, I do try to get in Boston if I qualify and get in. 
and then a qualifying marathon for the, the following Boston. And I guess the the years that I've run it on course, I've had other things very closely scheduled to Boston. So I never tried to kind of give it my all. Um, the first year I ran Boston, I, I did the Boston to Big Sur. And I was actually, to be quite honest, terrified about whether I had the durability to do two road marathons in two weeks. And Big Sur is fairly hilly for a road yeah. marathon. Yeah. Um, so I definitely, and it was my first Boston. So I definitely was kind of taking it as a victory lap, wanting to just make sure that I could be physically capable of finishing the second marathon. And then the year after that was the year that I did canyons. And that was 12 days after Boston. So again, terrified because it was my first 100K. So I wanted to make sure I had legs for that. And so 2020 was going to be the year that I was actually going to give the Boston course an effort, like a decent, authentic effort. Um, And so I'm hoping if I get in for October that I'll get my shot then. But um, the way I've structured it is kind of in the past few years. So having Boston as one road marathon in the spring that I focus on and then something in the fall or end of the year as my qualifier. And then um, kind of in between, I sort of get to play around with trails and ultras, which I just love the beauty of just being out in nature and in the trees and just it's so peaceful there. And so that's kind of how I've structured it is Fitting it in that way, I do recognize that I'm sure if I kind of focused on one or the other, I'd be better at one or the other. But I think I find it just so enjoyable and wanting to try so many things that I do try to cram in a lot. I, before the pandemic, did kind of impulsively sign up for a lot of races. Um, And I'm actually really glad I did in 2020 because I was able to fit in a decent number before everything got shut down. Um, But that's how I've been able to kind of structure it is around the two road marathons as anchors and then kind of fitting in trail ultras. And I I usually try to get one longer trail ultra in after Boston or in the summer. So I've done TRT 50 as another kind of longer trail ultra kind of in between my two road marathons. Wow. How do you structure the training for the fall marathon that you're using as your Boston qualifier? I love how structured this is. Like my project manager brain is like, this is brilliant because you know you need to qualify. And like that's still for anyone an effort. Like you can't just turn off your brain and kind of like, I don't know. I think like I don't need to be like on the top of my game to qualify. I still need to be ready and prepared. So how do you prepare for that fall marathon? Do you do specific marathon training that you might do in the spring or are you just mixing in trails and and everything and keeping it sort of fun? Yeah, that's a great question. I feel that your love for structure will really dislike my actual lack of structure, (laughs) what I call quote unquote training. And I'm sure coaches will cringe if any hear this, but I think consistency is really my thing. And and I am not a very disciplined runner in terms of training for even my road marathons, to be quite honest. And that's something that I want to work on and have as kind of an item on my list of things to do this year. I think I just, as long as I get in kind of long runs and a little bit of speed work, I feel okay with it. Mm -hmm. And then I recognize that you know, I'm sure the trail runs that I do will benefit my fitness in some way, but it is a little unstructured. It is a little crazy. Even to me, I was thinking, you know, CIM had been my Boston qualifier and about a month before that I did the New York marathon as kind of a tune-up run 
um, which was an amazing time. And then I think a month before that, I had done a local 50 miler. And so I do think one of the benefits of kind of shutting down all races is it's given me time to kind of reflect on my schedule and my training and my approach and and perhaps to add a little bit more structure and discipline into it um, going forward once races do pick back up. What does that actually look like? Because I one thing that I I love about the way that you've been talking about running and you know what I see on your Strava is that like it feels like the unstructuredness actually and seems to invite a ton of joy and almost like serendipity. Mm-hmm. Like you're open to running with people, you're open to just hopping into a race when it comes up. But it sounds like you're saying like that space kind of gave you more time to maybe be more structured. Like how do you kind of balance the playfulness of not having too much structure with adding in some structure? Yeah, that's a great question. And that's a really observant point because that is something that I have thought about. I thought about getting a coach, as you know, Bridget, I've talked to you about a little bit about this a few times now, and then I've always kind of stepped back because I do find so much joy in the unstructured approach I do take to running that I, I am concerned that if I do get a little bit more discipline per se with a coach that some of that joy will be diminished at least temporarily. And so it's definitely a balance between that and kind of pursuing some, any personal kind of goals, running goals I have, for example, for the marathon and how much I want that, I guess. And up until now, I haven't wanted those time goals badly enough to really, and that structure because so much of our life is structured and a little bit out of our hands, right? With work and family obligations. And this is the one area where I can kind of a little bit more whimsical yeah. uh, in terms of you know what I feel like doing any given day or weekend. And if it is kind of signing up impulsively for a local race at the last minute or you know changing distance, for example, literally the morning of, which I've done before, um, I kind of like that ability. Yeah. It also seems like, you know, I love the way you're like, oh, well, I, you know, just did New York as like a training run for CIM and the sort of like ability to see it like from that perspective, as opposed to like, this is my all out effort for this one marathon that I'm going to do like in this marathon season, I think is so important because it gives more freedom to like have fun with it and be at these big events Bridget and I just recorded a a one-on-one conversation together and we were sort of talking about like, do we miss racing? And I think I have a complicated answer for that. But what I do miss is these big marathons and the community and how when sort of that's your only opportunity to be part of like the bigger running community, how after that you sort of go through this withdrawal. But if you're not looking at it from that perspective, like if you're constantly being with people and like hopping into races and just seeing every opportunity you have to be part of the community, then like maybe the withdrawal isn't as bad. So it's making also what you're saying is making me think about races a little bit differently too. Yeah, that's a great question. I've asked myself the same thing on kind of how do I feel about them coming back? I mean, on one hand I have missed it, but I think more so for the community aspect per se than anything else. And so if we can get that, you know, once things open back up safely, then maybe it'll have a different place, at least for me Mm -hmm. in terms of my running kind of enjoyment. Yeah. I love thinking about that stuff. And like, I hope that I just worry that when it comes to being on the start line of a race, that like the competitiveness will overtake me a little bit. And 
I want to take all of the the conversations that Mimi and I have had. So Mimi and I started this podcast almost a year ago. We started it in the pandemic. And these conversations have served as such a reminder of like the greater community and why we run. And it's about, you know, you were talking about this. It's about so much more than times. Like time doesn't really matter. And I believe that and I feel it, but I also am a competitive person. And mm-hmm. I do have like time goals. And I know that you do too. Um, and so I'm curious like have you had races where you went in with like a time goal and it was disappointing and how have you kind of how have you kind of dealt with that how have you come back from that yeah that's a great question and I do definitely resonate with that I do have some time goals that I would like to perhaps more kind of proactively pursue mm-hmm. and so I think I think my first uh, BQ attempt was very much a disappointment so I had tried to do mountains to beach one year as my first attempt, actual attempt at to qualify. I I was five minutes off at CIM a few months prior without really trying at all. And so I thought, well, if I put a little bit of effort or mindfulness into my running up until then, maybe I can do it. And, you know, I was, I think, looking back, not mentally ready for it. I think I was super nervous, to be honest. And I think I started my taper a little too soon. I think the taper, like so many other pieces of running is so individualistic and you really have to figure out, I mean, that's part of the fun and challenge is figuring out what is the sweet spot for you personally. And so at the time, I, I think I tapered way too early for what works for me. And so as a result, I don't know if it's as a result or somehow coinciding with it, but I ended up getting really sick and I didn't know at the time what I had, but you know, I I saw the doctor before I, I, headed down to Southern California for the race. And then while I was there, I pretty much got sicker and sicker. And I was frantically trying to find, you know, um, like acupuncturists or anybody that could see me somehow to to try to help me before I towed the start line and ended up finishing the race. But I mean, it was, I was congested the whole time and super sick. And I found out later I had walking pneumonia. And so I'd run the race with walking pneumonia. And so was way off my time goal. And I remember kind of finishing and then all around me were people that had qualified and they have that big, like, bell. I don't know, drum or it's bell. It's a gong. Like a gong. It's a gong. Yeah. Yeah. So they yeah. the big gong. And I remember yeah. walking by and seeing people like, you know, cheering and kind of um, celebrating. And I, I was feeling sick and really sad actually, because I had put so much mental effort into thinking about it. I traveled all the way there. Um, but upon reflection, I just feel that I think, I do think everything happens for a reason. I think at that time I just wasn't ready. It wasn't my time. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I think after that, I think the, the experience did make me realize that I really did want to achieve this goal, that that was something that was meaningful for me personally to try to accomplish. And so I think that helped kind of pave the way for later in the fall when I was able to do it. Yeah. What year was your, this mountains to beach? Cause I have a bad mountains to beach experience. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if it was our same year. Um, let me see. I yeah. think it was 2017. I want to say was my bad mountains to beach year. Was that your Valentino? That was my year. Yeah. So I, I, it's the only, well, actually it's the, I've, I've DNF'd at two. One, I was like legitimately had the flu. I started knowing, like I was texting my coach in the morning. I was like, we're just going to see, but like I had to drop out. But this one was, I think it was more mental. Like I just, 
I was putting so much pressure on myself. It's the first starting line where I put Adam, had, my partner had driven us to the starting line. There was a bunch of us running. And I said to him in the car, like before I got out, I was like, I think I would rather be anywhere but here right now. Like mm-hmm. I didn't want to be there, even though like I was trained, it had been my goal. I was physically ready, but I didn't want to be there. And then I ended up actually seeing one of my teammates who had dropped out because she was having like a, she, she was injured. And I saw her at like mile 20 at like a, a med station. And I just like burst into tears and was like, Jess, I can't do it. And I just, I stopped. I stopped. I couldn't. Yeah. But those races happen. It takes courage to stop too, I feel, rather than just push through as well. Oftentimes I feel I personally don't know how a race is going to go until literally you you start running and then you mm-hmm. can tell. Um, and so, I mean, I, I should have known given how sick I was feeling, but I thought, well, I'll just see, I'll just start running and see how I feel. Maybe I'll feel better than I feel now. And that wasn't the case for sure. So I kind of knew, okay, this is not going to go the way that I had hoped it would go. I'm curious too, like you talked about like being nervous, right? Like putting a lot of pressure on yourself, like in Bridget, like in your case too, you have this goal. I have so much pre-race anxiety and now I have pre-time trial anxiety. And it's (laughs) like, I wonder too, if the more I do it, the less anxiety I will have, like the less pressure I will put on myself. And so I think in the back of my mind, I also fear races coming back because I feel so out of practice that I'm like, I'm just bracing for that anxiety. Yeah, I definitely feel the same way. I I mean, I know this is being a little dramatic, but I wonder, will I remember how to race again, right? Like, will I remember <laughs> how to get into that mindset and do it once the races come back? And um, I think for me, there's some reassurance in knowing I have some rollover races from 2020 before Boston, for example, if I, if I do get in for October. So um, I'm looking forward to those happening, hopefully, so that I can use them as tune-ups and practice to hopefully shake out some of those pre-race nerves you talked about, Mimi. Mm-hmm. It's gonna. So I'm hoping to get into Boston for this fall too. So maybe we'll we'll hang out. We'll we'll go together and <laughs> keep each other from um, having too much anxiety around it. But now I'm just picturing it of being like a complete cluster at the start. Like everyone's just going to go out so hard and so fast because they've totally forgotten how to race. Either they've forgotten or everyone has been like pent up energy from yeah. not having hit a yeah, start line totally. that we're going to just go way too fast. It's going to be like the fastest average time <laughs> of a Boston marathon ever, like spread across the field yeah. unless, unless there's like, you know, 2018 type weather. Positive splits for everyone. <laughs> positive right. splits for positive people, for everyone. I feel at this point, I'll take any splits as long as we totally. get that experience yeah. again. Yeah. I think it will be like, I'm I'm really hoping that I'll get in. I don't know. I don't know what the cutoff will be, but I think it'll just be such a meaningful experience. Like all races that come back, if the fall marathon season happens, it's just going to be like, one celebration every weekend, like just sheer joy. Yeah, I definitely agree. I'm looking forward to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do trail start lines feel different than road start lines in terms of anxiety and pressure? Yeah, that's a great question. I think for me, they do depending on what the races are. I guess there are some trail races that are more I guess, A-type races for me. And so far as 
there are distances that I may not feel as comfortable with. And so I'd like to, you know, give it a little bit more effort or I know more effort will be required. And so I do get those nerves, I think, for those races. And also, I've, I personally still don't feel super proficient on the trails, particularly on steeper descents or technical descents. I felt a little bit more seen when I heard Shalene Flanagan say recently that since she's been hitting the trails, that for yeah. her, technical descents are also not her favorite. So at least I share one thing in common with her. But <laughs> um, so in that regard, I think I still feel the nerves with certain trail ultras, especially the mm-hmm. longer distances, since I still feel that I'm such a newbie with those. I think she was on Mario Fraioli's podcast talking about that, about the technical trails. I too felt very, very seen because not my strong suit. Yeah, no, definitely not. I, I mentioned that um, long run I had a few weeks ago and it was fantastic up until literally the last mile where the last mile was a negative 21.4% downhill. And (laughs) I haven't done trails in a long time. I've, I've kind of stuck to kind of um, smoother trails that are a little bit more runnable. So that was definitely a little outside my comfort zone, but in some ways it was good, I think, because it did push me to challenge myself a little bit at the end, which I hadn't really chosen to do per se during the pandemic with running. When you see a trail like that, or when you're looking down and you're like, oh my gosh, how do you psych yourself up or like get yourself down that hill? That's a great question, Mimi. So for this particular one, I just admitted that I was nervous about it and scared and really to be quite honest, needed some help there Mm -hmm. because it's been a long time since I've done a lot of trail running off of trails that I'm super comfortable with or that I know very well. And so I had to just have the vulnerability to say, Hey, I'm, I'm feeling really nervous and I may need some help. So can you just stay in front of me (laughs) so that if I roll down the hill, maybe you'll stop my fall. Yeah, I find it's like easier to follow people too. If you're like seeing where they're stepping, I'm like, okay, I can. And if they don't fall, I'm like, I can follow their follow in their footsteps in some way. Yeah, no, it definitely helps. And I did um, feel that there was some, you know, teamwork on this leisure run in so far as kind of helping each other out when needed. So, so that was also kind of nice too. So yeah, I was very grateful when I reached the end that. Um, descent and saw the parking lot. I like literally wanted to hug the flat ground <laughs> because I did not enjoy that steep last mile. Wow. Yeah. What drew you to the trails? Um, I think it's just the beauty of it and just how peaceful it is. Um, it just feels super therapeutic to just get away from uh, needing to avoid cars or people really. I mean, you can mm. go along on the trails and there are just so many trails to explore I feel so many different routes you can take that um, there's always something new and even the same trail if you go a week later so for example I had some friends that went back to Henry Cove this past weekend I didn't go but apparently the wildflowers that I had seen some of which had already went away in a week and so I think it's the beauty of that um, just getting away and It also, for me, forces me to be really present. And I think that's another reason why I like running generally, but trail running in particular for me, 
forces me to be super, super mindful because Mm. if I'm not super present and mindful of my steps, then I could, you know, twist an ankle. And I have done that during races. And so I know for me to be present is is really important, um, not only just to take in the beauty of the surroundings, but also just to make sure that I I don't fall or anything. Mm -hmm. That's such a good lesson. I mean, it's something that I feel like has been always a conversation, but especially a conversation during the pandemic. I think the pandemic forced us all to in an advantageous way, think about life in more of a day-to-day way. Like we literally didn't know what was happening. And that comes with a lot of trauma and scarcity and bad mindsets, but it also kind of forces you to be like, okay, what are the little things that we can be grateful for because we're stuck at home and because that's all we've got. But I'm curious, like, obviously we started off this podcast, you listed off a ton of things that you do. You're a mom, you work in a demanding job, you work in nonprofits. Does the kind of mindfulness that you practice on the trails, is that something that you see play out in those other aspects of your life? Yeah, absolutely. I do think in particular, the skills sharpened while running trail ultras in particular really translates to kind of improvement in the workplace as well. Um, Because I think the trail ultras in particular do require obviously preparation um, and they do require very precise multitasking of multiple factors um, because any one that you let slide uh, will at some point, you know, come back to bite you if you don't pay attention. And so that's, you Mm -hmm. know, fueling and hydration and electrolytes and salt and, um, all of those things and being mindful knowing kind of your own body and, and paying attention helps, but it also forces you to be really agile too, I think, in terms of literally with your footsteps, but also unexpected things are going to happen at some point. Um, mm-hmm. And so I find that those are really translatable skills for the workplace to be agile, um, to learn to be flexible, to be prepared, but to be agile, to be present to be able to manage um, and multitask multiple factors that lead to your end goal or end product really, really are parallel between the ultra running and I feel being in the workplace. I mean, I realize you can like make running a metaphor for literally anything and people do. I mean, everyone's like, this pandemic is a marathon. And you're like, (laughs) okay, what mile are we at? Like it's the marathon that never ends. But in terms of like the lessons and the you learn from running or like the resilience, it's like so applicable in the workplace. I mean, you mentioned earlier, like running is something that can be within your control, right? To a certain extent, but like you get out there and there are things in a race that happen or in a day that you can't control. And with things like work or relationships or life in general, like so many points in time, you have to surrender control. And in some ways, like you can learn to do that in running and just accept what's coming and and be agile, then like you can do that better in work. And I think the reverse is true. Like if you can sort of learn to just kind of be you know, like malleable in work, then maybe you can relate relate that to running and other aspects of your life. Yeah, I definitely think that is so true. And I think also when things get tough, for example, in life or at work, thinking back to times when you have overcome mm-hmm. unexpected obstacles in running, even though, you know, the, the parallels may be different in terms of scale or relevance or impact 
for me, at least they really do help. I mean, I've dealt with some unexpected things happen. I've sprained ankles during races, during ultras actually, and finished them. And kind of looking back, I think, well, you know, sometimes it's a reminder that we are all more resilient than we realize all yeah. you're forced to face that. And, I, and I've had some, you know, life changes that have happened in my life that have forced me to, to do that and to grow um, from painful experiences. And then there are parallels, of course, with running where, you know, there are experiences or unexpected things that happen and growing from those things, even if they you know, it would have been ideally better if they had not happened. Right. Yeah. It's like every, every challenge is, is an opportunity, right? It's an opportunity to grow. It's an opportunity to learn something and it's an opportunity to be like, I'm never doing it that way again. Right. And, and being able to draw on these experiences, it's so invaluable. Like even when you're having a really hard time in a race, right. And you're like, I've been here before, or I've felt this way in a workout and here's how I got through it. Like those things are the things that are going to serve you best, not just in running, but in life in general. And like, if you never make mistakes, if you never go through hardships, like life would be boring. Yeah, I definitely think that's true. And I do think those hardships and the downs and the low lights in life and during races help you to appreciate the highlights a little bit more, I feel. Yeah. It's like when you have that race that goes perfectly, you're like, oh, this is no pun intended, like for Boston, it's a unicorn. Um, (laughs) And to like really cherish that because you know how rare it is. And then even, even in life, like things can feel really crappy and really hard. And when everything goes well, it's like my default for that is like something's wrong here. Like the other shoe is going to drop. Like this isn't right. Like I've got to be missing something. And maybe that's the wrong mindset. Maybe it's just like, cherish that moment because you know it doesn't happen very often. Yeah, I think that is a great reminder to cherish the the good things when they're happening and be present as opposed to worrying, well, when will that shoe drop? Yeah. Yeah. Need to get out of my head there. So you do all of these incredible things with running, like athletically. You're like, oh, we're just going to run a 50K or like 40 miles on a weekend. It's fine. No big deal. I'm going to sign up for like four ultras. I, I was looking at your your race calendar from the beginning of 2020 and it was it was a lot it was very <laughs> like you did pack a lot in there how do people other in other parts of your life like at work or in your volunteer work like know that you're a runner or do you keep those parts of yourself separate yeah that's a great question i mean i think because it is such a big part of my identity and um what brings me joy right now that I do talk about it. And so um, I, I also think it's helpful that at least at my company, we do try to build more inclusion and connectedness among mm-hmm. our team members. And the way to do that, I think, is to share more of each other as a person. So what are our interests outside of purely the work that we're doing um, there in our formal roles. And so I think that culture has really invited us to share what we enjoy doing in our spare time. And so I do think there is some crossover there and, and it's nice. It's, it's nice when you do have colleagues who appreciate, um, that you do have interests and for me, at least a love for, of running and, um, ask about it, even if they think that it's crazy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. 
I agree. I, I always sort of struggle with that of like, how much do I talk about it? And is it too much? But yet it's also such an important part of my life that like, I feel like if I, if I didn't talk about it, I would be hiding a part of me. Yeah, no, I definitely feel I've been pretty open about it. Um, I also love avocados. And so apparently the two things that I feel everyone at work knows about me are I I love running an avocado. So I'll get people (laughs) sending me random (laughs) articles about avocados or running. So (laughs) I'm definitely bringing a lot of my whole self, authentic self into the workplace. That's amazing. I love love that. I love it. Now, whenever I read anything about avocados, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, mine, mine is, um, I talk mostly about running and Taylor Swift. <laughs> so how do you feel about the, uh, fearless album then? It's everything. I have so many thoughts about it. It both simultaneously transports me back to 2008 and like makes me feel all the feelings in sort of a like a, a naive way of I didn't know what was to come for the rest of my life, but also is like a very deep reflection on sort of patriarchy and misogyny and how narratives can shift over time and you can listen to the same songs and they mean something totally different now because of the context. I love that really deep answer to that question. <laughs> I, I I hear a future podcast episode dedicated. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we might lose some listeners. There is a um there just FYI, there there has been a podcast on on the Ringer Network and it's called like so the sub podcast is like Ringer Dish and they've they did a series that was every every single album Taylor Swift so they went through and they deconstructed every single album that Taylor did and then they just uh released the one of deconstructing the re-release of Fearless and that's sort of like the last one that they're doing um hopefully like they'll do it for every album that comes out but it's so it's so much better than any anything I could do with a Taylor Swift podcast it's like it's amazing. It gives me all the feels. So we'll we'll plug that one. But yeah, it's been enjoyable. I think like my fiance knew I loved Taylor Swift before this, but now I'm just like, I think he realizes he needs to deal with this for the rest of his life and is grappling with that. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. How do you feel about it? I like it a lot, actually. You know, it's interesting to hear I feel a different level of maturity in her voice mm-hmm. with some of the songs, which I find really interesting. Um, but yeah, I, I think overall it's fantastic that she she did that. And it is this reclaiming of a sense of herself and her identity. Yeah. It's such a larger conversation. And I think, I mean, it made so many people aware of the the aspects of music and business that, you know, if you were just streaming songs that you like on Spotify or buying them on iTunes or listening to them on the radio, you don't necessarily know how artists are paid, how Mm -hmm. masters are sold, how, what the relationship between who records it and and the actual artist. And I think all of these conversations are are really good to have. I think people are, are really interested in, you know, when someone creates content, who actually gets to monetize that content. And to your point, Mimi, like oftentimes, especially when the creator is a woman or, or a person of color, like that there is a story there about how that content is not being monetized by the person who is creating it and that it has been used to essentially control that person and for other people 
particularly white men, but let's just say white people to, you know, to make, to make a profit off of it. And I think that conversation, that bigger conversation happening, um, and Taylor Swift, you know, kind of bringing more people into it and creating more space then for other artists to talk about it too, is really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. It is really so powerful. And it, it again, parallels, you know, how music and the story about her album is not just about music and the story about her album, just like running is not necessarily just about running, right? It's, there's so many layers and deeper things to it, which is why I think we all love talking about it and, and listening to others talk about it. Yeah. What a way to bring it back. Wow. I didn't even think about that connection. <laughs> I was going to start talking about like how it reminds me of like college athletes and like how the NCAA are like <laughs> totally exploiting them. Like I like, I like that too. Yes. That's also really important to discuss. <laughs> I like the direction you're going better. Yeah. It's like so much of what the content is or like what we're seeing on the surface. That's not what it's about. It's about the experience creating it or the journey or the training. If we're talking about running and the relationships, like it's really peeling it back so much deeper to understand like how you get to that end product and whatever that is that people see is important at some level, but like not the entire story behind it. Yeah. And I've had so many people talk about how listening to the newly released versions have brought them back to that place years ago. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that Mimi, and that's again, kind of bringing it back to running. Like that's similar, I think, for all of us when we think back to our particular race in a particular year, especially if it was a very meaningful um, experience for us, it brings back more than just the fact that you ran, say, 26.2 miles. It's, you know, your memory of that whole experience leading up to it, the training and how you remember feeling during the race and perhaps even after. Yeah. Like even if we're if we're talking about music, I don't know about you, but like when I'll, when I listen to certain songs, like I'll, I'll go back to a moment in a workout or like a part of, you know, I think about like when I really first started running and listening to music while running, it was in New York city. So like so much of my, my running memories are tied up in like my musical memories of the city and I'll just hear a song and I'll instantly go back to that place. Yeah, that's so powerful. Running, music, so great. So important in our lives. It really is. Yeah. So before we we wrap up, and we're lucky that this is, well, hopefully we'll have many conversations with you over the months and years, but at least for right now, like I know we have another very important conversation that we're going to have in a little bit. So we're happy to have you back on. But before we wrap up this part, how do you see your relationship with running in like 10, 20 30 years? What does it look like for you? Yeah, I hope to still be running well into my senior years. I kind of now approach running with that mindset that, you know, it's the long game really in terms of durability and strengthening that. Um, And I do have time goals that I'm hoping to hit. I, you know, I think we've seen a lot of inspiring elite athletes, for example, that are disproving that simply you know, getting older in terms of years means slowing down. And so Mm -hmm. I'm hopeful and I feel, I do believe that, you know, I still have some um, time goals to accomplish and that I can do that with kind of the right dedication. So I do see that. And then hopefully just continuing to explore and continuing to stay connected with the running community, because it is, as you guys know, such a supportive community, both in terms of people that you see on a regular basis in person, you know, pre and post pandemic, but also supportive friends you've made 
you know, online or that you see perhaps a few times a year at certain races. Um, it, it's just an incredibly supportive, collaborative community. And so I'm hoping to stay engaged with the community and further engaged um, for decades to come. I love that answer. You're someone who I feel like has like brought me into the running community. You and I met years ago at a what is now Peninsula Distance Club, but was then sort of a track club um, kind of community run. And I just remember you being someone that immediately made me feel so comfortable being there. And you were asking me questions. You had a curiosity. You made me feel like I belonged there and it sparked what has now become a year long, a year long friendship that is sustained mostly online. You know, you and I don't live terribly close. I mean, we are barrier runners, but I, I, every time I see your Strava, every time I see an Instagram post, I'm rooting for you. And when we do see each other in person, it's so special. So, you know, thank you for everything that you have done for me personally to kind of like build that part of the community. And, um, you know, I think the larger Bay Area running community is so lucky to have people like you in it. Yeah. And I think the both of you, I mean, I think it's fantastic. You guys are sharing so many stories of local runners and, Bridget, I know you for a long time have been so authentic about sharing your story in terms of the ups and the downs. And so you've also inspired me for such a long time. And maybe you too, having heard a little bit more about your story as well. That's so great. Okay. Let's end with some fun rapid fire questions. Are you ready? Um, Yes. What is your favorite place for a long run in the Bay Area? Um, I guess I would say I like running in Quicksilver. And then in particular, any route that takes me over... um, a part of priest rock called dog meat. It's, mm. um, I guess it's, it's not too steep a grade. It's about 12%. So it's about a thousand feet gain in one and a half miles. And so <laughs> it's, you know, it's a good workout, but it's, it's runnable in terms of it's a few rollers and it's just beautiful because you can see the curves of the Hills in front of you. Mm. And so that is probably my favorite place to run. I don't get to get out as much as I'd like there, but I love that section. Oh, that sounds gorgeous and hard. I'm like, we have different <laughs> definitions of not that steep of a grade. <laughs> okay. Um, what's your favorite race distance? Um, definitely the marathon and in particular road marathons. Mm. I, I, I just love um, something about that particular distance and trying to figure out the right combination for me of taper and nutrition and training leading up to it is still just for some reason that distance is a fun puzzle to try to figure out. We agree. Um, if you could go on a long run with anyone, who would it be? Um, I think for now I would say Marika Ugeta. She just broke her own world record for uh, a 252 marathon for women 60 years and older. Um, and she just sounds incredible. So I would love to just run with her and you know I don't speak Japanese and so I don't know kind of how we might have to have a third a translator run with us but I'd love to hear about her because her story is just fascinating I mean she didn't pick running back up until she was 41 and decided you know she did two marathons decided okay I think if I put in some effort I can I can even get faster with time and so she you know, runs an incredible amount of miles a week. I think she gets up to 112 miles weekly at her peak. 
Um, but she's 62 and she keeps breaking her own record. So I, I would love to run with her. Oh, I love that answer. I saw, I saw that story. I think I saw it in fast women, the newsletter. Um, and I was, I just thought this, yeah, I want to know more. I would love to go on a long run with her. I couldn't keep up, but (laughs) I'll try. She'd have to just take it real leisurely pace for me. Exactly. But I just, one other story, I mean, she, so she avoids technical downhills consistent Mm. with what we were saying because she doesn't feel the benefit outweighs the potential injury. So her husband will drop her off at the bottom of Mount Fuji and pick her up apparently like about 2,700 feet up. And so she doesn't have to do, she only does the uphills up Mount Fuji and then he'll pick her up and drive her back down. (laughs) Also, that's a great story of like a truly supportive partner. It is a really great story. love that goals for everyone yep exactly um okay morning afternoon or evening run I would say morning because I like sunrise runs in particular yeah okay so we're recording this on it's April 12th tomorrow Des Linden is running is going to do an attempt on the 50k road world record at some undisclosed location in Oregon I think the time is 307. Mm-hmm. Will she break it? Wow. Yes. My money is on Des. Yeah. I think yeah. she's ready. If anything, she's fueled by the haters who told her not to proclaim her goals so openly. Yeah. Yeah. I I saw that too online and I was just like, what is that? But I, I think, you know, I don't know. I don't want to get too political about this stuff, but I, I do think that like men have so much more leeway with like claiming bold goals. You know, we see this so much in startup land where guys are like, this is going to be a million billion dollar company. And they've raised, they've done nothing. Um, but I love that she put it out there by the way. So if she does it, I think it's like six Oh two per mile. Wow. Crazy. That is crazy. That is really so insane. Yeah. yeah, I would literally never bet against us ever would, in anything. No. I will pick her for everything for the rest of my life. When she is ninety eight and still running marathons, I'm like, yes, Des will win another Boston. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you on that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, what is your favorite fearless song from the vault? Oh gosh. Um, well, my friend who's a total Swifty just told me to focus on Hey It's Steven, which admittedly I had never focused on. So I would say Mm. for the reissued album, that one is my favorite, but probably because it had passed under my radar the first time. But it's very classic Taylor in my view. So I'm going to go with that one. Okay. Yeah. I love Hey Steven because I had a Steven in my past and it just... Well, he doesn't even deserve that song, but it's, like, <laughs> it's just such a good song. It's so great. It's really good. And full disclosure, I did not know who Steven was. So my Swifty friend had to educate me on that, but, but I will go with that one. Mm-hmm. Nice. Okay. Our favorite final uh, rapid fire question, burger, burrito, or pizza? Um, <laughs> I think I'm going to go with burrito. Pizza is a close second right now, but yeah, definitely burrito. Awesome. Do you have a favorite burrito place near you? I really like Sancho's um, personally. 
And so, yeah, that's kind of my go-to spot for burritos. Mm, love it. Nice. Well, thank you so much. This was such a pleasure. Um, and just so listeners know, Deanna is coming back to have a second episode where we're going to do a deep dive on her experience as um, a runner who's an Asian, her experience as a lawyer, her experience with everything about, um, you know, kind of identity representation, all of that stuff. Um, we think it's so important to talk about and she's been gracious enough to, to really dive into, into those topics. But thank you so much for telling us about your story. It was such a pleasure to hear all of these, all of these details. We can't wait to release this and we can't wait to talk to you more. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode with Deanna Kwong. As we mentioned, Deanna's going to be back. Um, We were so fortunate to have her back to have a larger conversation about everything that's happening now in terms of all of the really horrific hate crimes against Asian Americans, her experience with that, her thoughts on it, you know, her, her experience in terms of identity. We really go deep with Deanna on that, which we were so, so grateful for her time and her thoughtfulness in that conversation. So you can expect that to come out soon. So much more to come from Deanna. For now, if you would like to follow her on Instagram, you can find her at myfavoritemoment38. As always, you can find us at Runners of the Bay on Twitter, on Instagram. Send us an email, runnersofthebay at gmail.com. Check out our website. And if you have some time, we would be so grateful if you could leave a rating and review on on Apple Podcasts. I know we don't always ask for it, but it's really, really awesome to hear from you, hear how people are liking the show. Even if you don't give it five stars, that's okay. We want to know. We want to know what we can do better. Certainly, we've gotten some feedback that we hope has helped us make us better. So we are always open to it. So with that, we'll sign off for now, but we will talk to you real soon. Thanks so much. Yeah.